once again uh, to a Practice of Film Criticism 2022 podcast. Uh, today I'm joined by Harry Watts. Hello. And we're going to be talking about Once Upon a Time in America. Uh, it's a complex film. There are many versions of it. Uh, it's a beautiful film. But tell us what drew you to it, Harry. Well, what drew me to it was the first time I saw it, um, my dad was watching it. Like he said, it's always on TV. Um, and I didn't, I kind of joined halfway through, but it's visually stunning. Mm-hmm. And it sounds beautiful, it looks beautiful, the performances are excellent. So a week or two later or so, I watched it myself. Didn't really get it, to be honest, but mm-hmm. I've seen it like five or six times now. And every time I watch it, I just appreciate it a lot more. Yes, it's one of those films that gets better and better with each viewing. It really does. And the reason why I think it's simple is because it's such a great film that each viewing gives you something more, right? Which is, you know, I always think it's there's a reason to watch films over and over again, right? Um, but tell us a little bit about what's the story? Well, it, it it's very comprehensive. It, it covers the entire life, more or less, of a group of gangsters, particularly one called Noodles. Um and the film, the film is out of order, but to simplify it, they start off as children, Jewish immigrants in New York, and um, it depicts their struggles of growing up, and also the sort of their abnormal perception of life because they are grown up by a, they're growing up in a community which is dominated by violence and crime, mm-hmm. and it shapes them. Noodles, um, after avenging a friend, goes to prison for quite a long time. And then when he comes out, um, he finds New York is not what it was and his friends are now mafia kingpins, more or less. Um, And the twist is they are not the innocent kids once more, like, you know, dancing along the street. They are not just hardened criminals, but they are inherently evil people. In my opinion, the the most evil gangsters I've probably ever seen in a movie. Mm Okay. There's a lot to choose from. <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of reasons to believe it. Um, but yeah, the, the, the gang sort of, there's sort of, um, internal divisions that grow and to, to out of kindness, uh, Noodles tips the police off about his friend trying to save him, but finds out that him uh, he's caused three of his best friend's deaths as a result. Ridden with grief people after him he has to leave but he comes back 35 years later um and when he comes back uh he learns that the person that he thought was dead isn't and it was a very deliberate scheme to get rid of him and for uh, max james woods's character to live out a perfect life at the cost of noodles and the rest of his friends yes and and, and yeah who were dead they lost their lives um so, um, what 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 continues to draw you to the film? What is it about about this film that keeps you watching it? It's two. It's three main things. It's okay. First of all, the performances. I think this. I don't know. I don't want to go away from the topic, but like, I think too many people put too much priority on performances being extravagant and over the top. And I think some of the best performances I've seen are the more subtle ones. And I think Robert De Niro is one of the kings of power in subtle mm. acting um, and it's not just him there's loads of really good performances I think James Woods is excellent I think Elizabeth McGovern is excellent mm. um, the second thing 
uh, is the aesthetics. I think it's so beautifully shot, and I think pairing with that is the 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 score. Ennio Morricone, I'm a big fan anyway, mm. but this in particular is just something so outstanding. I want to talk about all of those things uh, in particular because they really are gobsmacking. Um, but I suppose you know we should first address what is the film about? What is it? What is it telling us? What what is so on the one hand, yeah, it's a story about these people, but actually, it's also trying to tell us something, yeah, about these people, mm. about this world. Yeah, what are, what do you take to be its main themes? Or there's a few things. I I think one of the main points I I want to identify is is a a redefinition of what a gangster is. Um, I think th- the film does such a good job. At, acknowledging the glamorization of the gangster lifestyle but everything always comes down to Leone's I, I think the big print behind the film is all a gangster is is someone who tries to fill their life with meaning mm-hmm. fails horrendously and then is angry at the world as a result mm-hmm. I think that that's such a eloquent way to put it and I think that idea you can kind of tie to anything in the movie and it will make sense mm-hmm. um and I think one of the ways to, like, an example is with Elizabeth McGovern. Mm. Uh, well, she, she, her character is Noodles' fascination throughout. They are childhood, not sweethearts, but they, they always had the... Uh, this, little sparks yeah, of childhood, yeah. Um, and this was recognised early on, and Noodles confesses while he was in prison, she was all she, he was thinking about. Mm. He hires out an entire restaurant, they 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 are serenaded beautifully. He he makes all of the tables laid. He says, "Pick any table. It's beautiful." They sit on the beach. They have drinks. And then, just as their relationship is about to blossom into something special, he completely ruins it by raping mm. the, the the woman of his dreams. I I we had a discussion of this yes. in class because uh, people raised the issue of whether the film was misogynist uh, and uh, focusing on, you know, the film has two rapes, which are quite brutal, right? And, and you know, thus kind of uh, a rationale for looking at the film as a misogynist film. I thought the discussion on that was like really an interesting one. Mm. Um, but I think one of the things that maybe wasn't mentioned in relation to that is that the reason, or that maybe part of the reason for it is a certain, potentially, I'm not sure about this, right? It's a theory I'm throwing at you. Go on. But maybe the reason is that he feels a little bit that she's been leading him on. She's been, he's been leading his whole life for her and dreaming of her and wanting her, and she knows it. And here he prepares this wonderful thing for her. And then she says, I'm leaving tomorrow. Bye. Right? Like... It, it it it's a very safe assumption to make i think and i think one one of the interesting things about it is i think it's an inherent evil in well i don't want to say every man but i think most men feel this sense of it sounds really bad but he's put in so much effort and he feels owed yes. not in the sense that he expects her to reciprocate although he does to mm. be fair mm. he he expects an appreciation of his affection and she can't she she hits him with a i'm going to new york very abruptly mm. and it, it you can see it like it snaps in his head mm. 
Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying this is any justification for his, for his action. Of course not. But it's a motivation, yeah? I, because, in effect, she has been leading him on, right? Because, you know, he, he's, she's told him he's the only man he, yeah, she cares about. Uh, yeah, so she has been kind of playing with him for 30 years. Like, you see kind of the childhood banter and so on. So there's a real feeling between them. And I would argue definitely love on both their parts, I think. Uh, but also, she has been playing with him, which then, you know, his reaction is to then destroy everything, right? Mm. Yeah, but it's not unmotivated by her, which is not to say that I'm blaming her for what he does, exactly. which would it, be ridiculous. It's so hard because uh, I feel like uh, it's so hard to speak on without, like, saying something outrageous yes. but like he's put in all of this effort and he's turned down anyone would be angry not at the person but at the fact that they've put in all this effort and they've lost it for 30 years and it, it's proved to be fruitless so on the one hand there's, there's the relation but the, the thing the thing that makes the conflict is it, well he rapes her as a result of his anger mm. which of course yes it, it, it's one of those things because it's so simple and it's such a it sounds bad again but it's such a fine line it's like because he's all he's all angry which we completely understand and are sympathetic for but then straight away so suddenly it's into whoa 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 and yeah. everyone steps back it's completely violent and it gets completely out of control and actually it's also so complex because in destroying her which is what he does, he also destroys himself. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, you know, he's ruining his life, yeah, in doing what he does, as much as, yeah, he's making her hate him, yeah, and, 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 and ruining all his expectations and hopes and so mm. on. And he's the one doing it, right? Like, so, you know, that whole scene is kind of layered with, like, you know, kind of emotions, yeah, like, and violence, and brutality, yeah, but it's almost the destructive. It, there's an element of self-destruction mm. as well in this this external action. Yeah. yeah, and and we can link that back to their childhood, and it relates to pretty much everything else in the film. Where because he's grown up in an environment where, you know, he can have his hopes, he can have his dreams, things he wants, but at the end of the day, everything he has really got in his life, he's had to snatch. He's had no parents. Well, he's had parents, but it's hinted that they're abusive and, and unsupportive. Um, and, and one of the first actions we see him and his gang do is they burn a newsstand and then as a reward, they're allowed by Bugsy to shake down a drunk and steal his, his watch and things. And the the childhood actors, I don't know their names, but they're outstanding That's, as well. Yeah. And they, they do a really good job of, of conveying that of embedding that their daily lives are this mm. and they understand it's not right but they sort of justify it to themselves because of the context they live in and they understand that everyone else does the same thing yes i mean you know i'm i, I was very surprised at some of the discussion about you know seeing those people as evil particularly you know when they were young obviously they they end up doing things that are very evil there's no argument there mm. but certainly the whole of the beginning scenes I think for me it's quite a recognizable picture 
you know, of, um, you know, ghetto New York, ghetto immigrants New York, right? Um, I mean, it's not as if, um, you know, the kids start off by doing kind of, you know, little things really. And, you know, it's partly for fun, partly, yeah, because, um, well, actually, you, you never really do see privation, do you? The film doesn't emphasize that mm. this is the result of privation. Mm. You know, and that clearly there are other kids who are not uh, doing those things, right? So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm thinking, what motivates these kids? Because also, you don't see them as having any big dreams or, you know, it's not as if they want to, you know, become president or become the biggest gangster or anything, at least initially. Mm. You know, and actually, Noodle never does. Yeah, like, never do, yeah. Um, yeah, and they, they they show they show a real like understanding of everything despite being so young. Mm. I, I think a good example is when they catch I think his name's Fartface, the, the police officer mm. on the rooftops with Peggy, she's underage. He, yes. He's he's technically raping her. Yes. And I, I, I find it really inter- it's interesting <clears throat> that the kids despite their age, they completely understand the implications of it and they completely understand the leverage they have over this police officer now and they completely exploit it to the highest point they can. Yeah, they their life has taught them the ways of the world <laughs> or of their world, yeah. right? Uh, which is, again, you know, where I suppose I feel a bit uncomfortable with people saying, oh, they're just evil because actually this is their world. Yeah, and it's an unjust world, and it's an unfair world. It's a world of privation. Mm. But that is that is their world. It's a world where the cop steals from you. Yeah, you get over the cop. Yeah. But, but but also, like, like that's very, like, valid. But, like, I think, especially for my video essay, I need to hit home that they... Because re- I know it's a reveal later on. You could argue that they evolved into it, but they are inherently despicable mm. all of them right okay <laughs> because i because I, I don't want because i because i feel like if i make it more about um how the environment can make the gangster no no i'm not saying that either oh okay yeah. i misinterpreted no no but i am I, you know but i think that that is their environment that is what of they're course, growing of up in and actually the thing is that they're smart so you know when you're saying they know all the angles and you know uh, I think the thing with the photographer, it's not just that they snap him doing it, is you get the feeling they arranged it. They, they're in cahoots with the girl. Yeah, they entrapped him into it, right? Like, yeah, so they're the ones who, like, not just to organize the photography, but organize the act, right? They set him up, right? Uh, and, it's a, and it's a revenge, yeah, for the cops stealing from them, yeah. right? So I'm not saying that then, you know, this is what, what makes them who they are. You can't, but that is like how they, the context in which they are growing up in, mm. right? Uh, so, and and I like that there's an intelligence about it, and I also like that there's um, the friendship element is really crucial, and I, I want to talk about that, mm. right? Uh, but also, what I see as a relative lack of ambition. I mean, you know, they want to get on, they want to get by, right? Like, uh, you know, they want to get on. They yeah, like kind of they need to make a living. But you never get the feeling of saying, oh, I want to be president of Chrysler or, you know, I want to run the biggest mm. union. It's only the James Woods character that yeah. begins thinking like that. And and that's, you can really see that in their uh, their pitch uh, where they, you know, they invent the, the salt, which will dissolve and yes. save packages. Not only does it, like, like we were talking about, it shows that shrewdness, but within that pitch, 
<laughs> you can tell that Max is like, uh, you know, like he, it's like he's on Dragon's Den and he's got like the new latest invention that's going to make him a millionaire. Yeah. It's obviously not, but it's a big step up the ladder. Sure. And the fact that it works, I think it sort of inflates his ego. And that's why, because throughout his life, he has loads of things where like, he's being unrealistic, but it pays off. So it wasn't unrealistic. And his ego inflates to the point where he wants to rob the Federal Reserve Bank, which is impossible. Yes. Um, and I think the film does a really good job of escalating the ambitions of Max. And it really lays it in conflict with Noodles. Because you can even tell at the start that there's a difference there between Max and Noodles, but it's not an issue. But as it escalates, it becomes an issue. And that's what starts the drama within yes. the group. I thought the film was interesting also because, you know, at the beginning, you know, the friendship, to me, it's almost like, had the film given me a bit more, I would have read it sexually, yeah? The kind of Max has a thing for Noodle, mm -hmm. you know? And, and the film supports it in all kinds of ways, right? Like, you know, the, the teasing, the, yeah, there's the way that the actors, yeah, well, the uh, uh, James Woods character actor looks on the younger Noodle. The fact that uh, he can't get it up, yeah, for the girl, yeah. That's the, true, that's the, very true. You know, there seems to be like, yeah, kind of, hmm. Yeah, and then of course, kind of at the end, the film doesn't go in that direction. Mm. But at the beginning, yeah, kind of, this, this, this love between the boys is made to seem potentially more, at least on James Woods' side, yeah. And it's something that's still... Yeah, and he's, he's always leaving uh, Deborah to go and see Max. He, mm. She jokes about, like, your mother's calling you. And there's loads of shots of uh, James Woods looking towards Deborah and Noodles together. Mm. I don't know why I've always... I never really looked at it the other way. I've always assumed it as he had a thing for Deborah, but... Yes. There, there's nothing actually there that says that it's not for noodles. And if anything, to be honest, there there might be more that it's for noodles. Yeah, I, there's there, something there's so, there, yeah. there. There's so much there. Though. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't even think about that really. Um, let's move on to talk about the visuals because, you know, I. Um, well, I guess it's a prejudice of mine, right? Like I always think. People talk about film and they never mention, you know, the visuals and they're like, it's, yeah, films are audiovisual, right? And the, the thing is that this film is absolutely, I think, gobsmacking with it. Like, um, did you think that? I mean, this morning I was taking, I, you know, I just thought that I would do some screen grabs, right? And uh, then after your talk, get students to talk about it, but we just ran out of time. Mm. Uh, and we covered it in other ways. But, uh, yeah, kind of, you know, what... In, in relation to the visuals, what stands out for you? What's what's worth remarking upon? The film has loads of shots which you can isolate as like photographic masterpieces on their own. Mm. The one everyone talks about, but I have it on my wall at home. It it's the the Brooklyn Bridge with the the two buildings, mm. uh, and the the kids are walking through the the little ones dancing. I thought, you know, to me that stood out as well. But you know that's the the cinematic element comes in the genius of it being a film director instead of just a beautiful image or yeah uh, is um, you remember the kids walk by it right and then one of the little ones does a little jig mm. yeah on the way yeah. out and actually the doing of that little jig 
what that expresses and evokes yeah in relation to that bridge and those built yeah, yeah that kind of composition which is just astonishing that's where i think he's really like a genius film director right it's the bringing in of that of that child doing the jig yeah because mm. um, that expresses like i don't know joy and youthfulness and you know a different time and you know kind of so it adds all of this to this picture even though you know like uh, he's leading really a procession of mm. gang members really yeah mm. but that but there's also that child and the dancing and yeah and also like just from like a purely visual sense for some reason it really changes the composition of the image it really like places the figures at the bottom mm. and the, the little gap it's sort of like I feel like if they were all just walking together, they're, they're, it, it, there's, a, there's a staticness to it. Mm. Where if you have the gaps between them, the kid twirling while he's dancing, it, it, I think it shows like the, the dynamic nature of this, which is, you know, these aren't just kids standing in New York. Because their daily lives, are they wander through, they skip hop, they sing, they dance through mm. New York. Una, not unaware, but like completely immersed in all of this crime, but not really understanding the implications of it all. Mm. And I think that's where a lot of the beauty of that particular shot comes from there's something I think very um, interesting to me about Leone being Italian right because the thing is you know Leone's a filmmaker what did he grew up with he grew up with American films right as well yeah he's a genre film director on top of it right so westerns and uh, gangster films are the films you know that yep. kind of would have colonized his imagination so you know I think this is a view by a foreigner, but of a New York and America, it's almost inherently constructed through film viewing, yeah, through cinema, through pop culture, yeah, and and in a way, you know, all the evilness in quotation marks that you talk about has, nonetheless, has a, a very romantic low to me. You know, it's kind of mm. it's mythic, yeah. I mean, but just. I mean, the, the, I, I need to really think about that more. Um, yeah, it, but because, you know, it's his cinematic masterpiece, he coined, like, he coined himself. Mm. Um, and, I, and because a lot of, because when people give credit to someone like Scorsese, they're like, he knows New York, like, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he well, knows the real New York. Mm. But that doesn't make it any more valid than Leone oh. being like, I have a, I have a completely cinematic creation of New York, and if anything, mm. in terms of in terms of being a a mark in cinematic history, it makes more sense to be uh, an a combination of different cinematic tropes that he has sort of like gathered through the years. It's very interesting, you know. There's um, many years ago, I read this book by Simone Signore, the actress, you know, and she talks about the first time she landed in New York, right? And of course, like, you know, she was like beside herself with excitement because it looked exactly like the New York from the movies, mm. right? Like, you know, it's a, so it's a New York you already know, right? But you only know it through the film. So the, yeah. And actually the plane landing thought, oh no, it wasn't a lie. It really does look like this. Then of course, once you land, the experience of it might be completely different and mm. it's certainly your own and so on. Yeah. But that it's like going back to a mythic place that you already no, even if only through dreams or cinema, yeah? And the film, Leone's film to me, has a little 
bit of that. Yeah. It's kind of it's, it's kind of like a magic New York, really. Mm. Yeah. It's kind of you know, it glows and not just with period. Yeah. Um, anyway, going back to images, one of the things that I'd like you to talk about is about the ending. The ending. Yes. Well, we, we spoke after the uh, the screening and you were talking about how you would prefer if the smile wasn't there. Yeah. I think that's I think the smile is so like because the the smile is like the uh, the thing that sticks in my head after the movie, which makes me think, oh, that was so good. I know it, it should be the particularly good pieces of performance or certain outstanding shots. It's it's a very simple just shot of his face, but I think it sort of captures sort of after everything you've seen. If there's one thing that you could show which would tie it up, it's Robert De Niro in the Opium Den with that smile. Okay, well, I'm not, you know, disagreeing with you. Uh, uh, I mean, I have, a, a, you know, I have a reaction to that shot, mm. um, which doesn't make it right. It's, it's just my reaction. Mm. But, but what, what does that shot bring to the film for you? I mean, it, it, it brings the the initial reflection which leads to later reflection mm. it because i feel really bad for him after the film um which i was surprised to learn that my my classmates disagreed with for the most part um but just because i feel so bad for him that the reason i feel so bad for him is because we've, we've learned he's been betrayed by his friend he's lived 35 years in silence for the start of that period, he's been relying on opium just to, just to think straight, right? And I think, after learning all of this, cutting back to the moment where he finds out that he has done this, and we know that his next thirty-five years are just hell. Someone, someone said it. His last moment of happiness, mm-hmm. uh, which was a great way to put it. Yes. Um, and and that's what haunts me about it because. We know. After. I think you're right. Actually, I just, yeah, I just didn't. Um, I think I was so involved in the in the feeling of the film by that point because actually I was very moved by the ending. Yeah, you know that sense of loss, of betrayal, mm. of sadness, of this feeling that these two men, whom they are each other's past to each other and whom have loved each other so much, yeah, that like, yeah, this is what they've come to, and it's all been sadness. Yeah. Uh, at least for one of them, and you, you get the sense for the other as well. Yeah. Uh, so I was kind of so involved in that that the initial thing of, you know, taking the opium and going into like a, like a sad reverie, you know, was so powerful to me that then, the superimposition of that kind of rictus type mm. grin that seems so false and yeah and rigid, it kind of, you know, added a, a jarring note really. But, you know, I think your reading is a better one than mine, so... No, uh, it, it certainly, like, uh, it certainly breaks from every other shot of the Chinese theatre, within, not just that scene, but within the entire movie. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I, I, ju- I just feel like if the credits rolled and it was, like, of the theatre, or, like, would it have to cut away from that? I just feel it as an ending... Because as well, like I'm one of those people where, like, after a movie, I love just like, I, I like just stare at the credits, kind of, and you sort of soak it in, right? Mm. 
I hate when movies, when they finish, they cut to black and then it's just credit text. Mm. I like movies to end with something that lets you soak in. Mm. And I think this is one of the, a good example of having something to soak in. Um, okay. So, um, you're planning on doing a video essay on this? Yeah? Yes. And we had an extended discussion on this after the screening, which I thought was really good. So, you know, what did people bring up that either surprised you or is making you think about the films in other directions? Well, I was kind of uh, not set on my video essay. I wasn't at all. Uh, but I was surprised at the amount of people who said at the end they had no sympathy for noodles. Because I... It's obviously... It's not full sympathy because I understand he's evil. But what interests me about the film and why I submitted it to make a video essay mm. was because I want to interrogate why I feel sympathy for such a character. Yeah. I really don't like the word evil, really. Because you know that thing where they say in the right circumstances everyone's capable of killing, right? Yeah. I mean, I would never talk about a soldier as being evil. and I'm sure they've done kind of many terrible mm. things. It's, it's almost like, you know, they're set up to do them. So um, I don't think it's, it's productive because, you know, evil kind of means almost that, well, you have to have a belief system in God, you know, which I don't. I something supernatural that makes you this way, mm. contrary to all law of, man or nature yeah. right and i actually don't think that noodle is like that i don't think he's contrary to every law of manager i think he does terrible things so 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 how would you categorize if i said like within the film um noodles takes pleasure in like overzealously annihilating slight conflicts and he violently unproportionately brutalizes women and you know like for example like when the when the baby uh Danny Aiello's uh, son, well, not his son, he's, he gets, his baby gets swapped, right? Yeah. I, I, like, at the end of it, when they're, they're like, oh, we forgot the number, and they just sort of go like, oh, fuck it, eight, that can be his son. I feel like a normal person would have an obligation to get the right baby to the right child. I and so too. I, I, I agree, I, I think ev evil's, but, like, I don't, if I don't say evil, I don't know how to coin the type of person that, doesn't feel that well, obligation. There's other language for that, right? That kind of, you know, there's immoral people or kind of cruel. But that sounds like, but that sounds like underplaying it, don't you think? Brutal, you know, um, mm. you know, inhumane, people that treat other people like things, you know, kind of, um, I just find it's not a productive term because the notion of evil instantly brings up God or the supernatural, right? Yeah. And, you know, um, it prevents you from thinking through, you know. So when he rapes the Tuesday Weld character after that robbery, you know, what, what is he doing it for? A sense of power, mm. right? Um, you know, a sense of revenge on the world, kind of, you know, something to do with, with maybe that he can't have what he wants and he's taking it out on all women. There are so many interesting possibilities one can explore. I'm not saying that any of those things are right, yeah, but... You know, when you're trying to find motive, yeah, for an action, or at least making an action understandable. But I think evil instantly explains everything. You don't have to think mm. about it, it's just evil. You are, you're, you're definitely right. And it also, it also undermines the first, like, two hours of the film where the characters aren't evil. Exactly. Um, yeah. so, so, so I do think 
you know, what leads people to do terrible things, mm. right? Like, that's interesting. And, and also, it's a kinder way of looking at the other of the film's main themes, which it is about America, right? You know, so kind of, you know, what corrupted America? Yeah, like, what corrupts these people? What, what, what makes someone or a country or do terrible things, right? Mm. Like, you know, because, I mean, certainly in my lifetime, like, the United States went from this beacon of democracy and freedom and equality to being like the evil empire, right? Like, you know, so, you know, if we're trying to understand these things, I think kind of, you know, searching for the language that makes you think rather than that prevents you from thinking. Yeah, that's very... It's a good thing. Yeah. All right. So, you know, back to what, yeah, what did you find useful from that discussion at the end? Um, I, I, a lot of people were very... Uh, kind with their suggestions um and i think mm. a lot of them were uh they, like they 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 were like very like good at opening avenues mm. um like for example sam mentioned about you know the the lingering on faces which yes. was something like i mentioned it early on but he sort of interrogated further the he, he didn't make claims, but the, the potential agency, why um, Sergio Leone would do this mm. and how this ties in with the rest of the film being very slow, mm. not dialogue driven. And he sort of, he, he said, he basically said to me, if I want to go in that direction, figure out why these are there, mm. Mm -hmm. which, and, and loads of people did things like that, which I really appreciate because, you know, it's not, it's not surface level. It makes me go. Yeah, I thought they were excellent. Um, so now, um, what are there other elements about the film that resonate with you and that you want to bring up in this podcast for people maybe to pay attention to if they see the film? Uh, did we really go into performances? We haven't really. I mean, you mentioned that you appreciated De Niro's uh, economy. Mm, I I think. I think he's so important to the film, um, and 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 also like the fact that he plays needles later on in life changes my perception of the child. Mm. Um, funnily enough, I don't really know how, but well, I can tell you one thing how because the child is quite open. Like I think the child noodles, the child is very lovable. Yeah, and he's got this open face. It's mm. almost like you know he he comes across as like you know. A, an open, kind kid, really. <laughs> Whereas, you know, De Niro later on is very withdrawn, yeah, yeah and very self-contained. Yeah. I like how they put the the cute like mole on his face. As well. I think that's <laughs> yeah. a really nice touch. Yes, yeah, that's so true. Um, but but yeah, uh, I, I when I wrote like, the five hundred words thing, I started it with like Robert De Niro has this, I feel like really unique ability to make you feel sympathy for him no matter what uh, he's, uh, he's most monstrous he's always like kind of human mm. and he's always he always convinces you to put effort into sympathizing with him yes. um he doesn't beg you to like him yeah uh, and i think like for example like if we just go to taxi drivers as just an example you know he tr he tries to do a political assassination and then goes on a gung-ho murdering spree mm you're always kind of like we know the people he's doing it against yes. and we understand that despite his really weird twisted views he has 
um, you 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 don't understand, but like, you you get it. You know, you get why he's angry, and you get why he wants to do something. Mm. And I think that carries over into this film, and it's particularly important in this film mm. because, like I said, the reason it affects me so much is because I'm conflicted between sympathy and rejecting the ideas. Mm. And I feel like if Robert De Niro didn't put in such a good performance, I would be much more inclined, like the rest of my classmates, to reject the ideas mm. and not. I I don't want to say this to, to like slag off the classmates at all because they were they, the ideas were very good. But there was like a, a, a rejection to like, I felt there was like a, a, they were like going like, oh no, I'm not going to like go into the psychology of noodles too deeply because I cannot identify with someone who's like a rapist, a murderer. And I get it, but I felt like for myself, I had to, because I was like that. And I feel like for me to interrogate this, I have to try to put myself in these shoes more. Maybe, I mean... I kind of, I think people, um, I thought Lizzie made a really good distinction. She made a very good point. You know, that kind of, you know, showing something doesn't mean that you share the point of view. You are actually showing a critical stance on something, you know. And I think for me, the whole film is imbued with a kind of sense of tragedy, actually. Yeah, that kind of these kids become these adults that have done such terrible things, you know, and you experience a sense of, of loss, of wasted life, of regret, you know. Yeah, I, I get mm. that feeling kind of at the end. Um, but I think the film makes the actions understandable, yeah. Uh, insofar as, like, yeah, kind of, not all actions are rationally understandable but they're often very emotionally understandable mm. you know like kind of um and also the fact that kind of people do horrible things i mean everybody does horrible things i'm not saying that everybody murders and rapes yeah but you want to be able to kind of understand or you mm. know kind of i mean even so that you don't turn out that way right like kind of yeah because i do think we all have the potential to go in very dark and bad places mm. so to just shut it out as if it doesn't exist is not for me the ideal way of yeah. proceeding. And and like with what Lizzie said, I really appreciated it because it was like she she made a very good distinction between script and mise en scène, like the actual film, mm. the the construction. And the the really good distinction was the the film it actually counters the script in term in especially in like the the rape scenes and scenes that are that are perceived as misogynistic, mm. which they, they are, mm. but the film doesn't, the film, the film is, is I, I don't think it's misogynistic at all because it counters everything that is misogynistic within the script. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, the film is also based on a book as well. So you could say as far as what Leone puts into it, he, he, he counters the inherent mm. misogyny that's in the, the, the work. It's a complex film, right? But I think Liz's distinction of, you know, there's a difference between the film showing you something and saying, this is the film's point of view on that something. Or, you know, the film saying, you know, this is a character doing something terrible, you know, or the film approving of the character, of that thing that's terrible that the character does, right? And of course, that movement between points of view is kind of essential to cinema as well. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to show anything that's negative if 
you know, if, if, if that shown is inherently seen to be as supported by the act of showing. And I think the film is very good at making those distinctions. You know, like we keep saying, you know, that Noodle does horrible things. Why do we think they're horrible? Well, the film is showing us that they're horrible, right? Like mm. the film is not saying, hurrah, yeah, here's a rape scene coming, enjoy. I mean, it's doing the opposite of yeah, that, right? Sure. So kind of, you know, it, it, I think it's very moral in that sense, the film. And that's kind of a way of distinguishing the character's misogyny from the film's. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Um, now, if someone had never heard of this film, you know, before, what reasons would you give for them to see it? So you must see this film because... Oh, um, you must see this film because it is the most complete cinematic experience I think you're likely to be offered. I'm not saying it's the best of like every specific area. Mm. I'm saying my overall satisfaction of watching it, it comes from knowing that everything is done so, not competently, like everything is raised above the bar in all of these different elements. Not just, tech, not just technically, not just with themes explored, not just with the performances. Every single element that I think you could think of within a film, it, it doesn't mess up on. All right, well, it's a really great film. <laughs> yeah, it's, very, I, it's my favourite. It's, it's been my favourite film since, like, years, well, when I saw it, like, years ago. Yeah, yeah. And I think this viewing kind of really made it understandable why that might be the case. Uh, it is a truly great film. All right, Harry, well, thank you very much uh, for joining us. We are uh, The Practice of Film Criticism 2022. Uh, and uh, today we've been talking to Harry Watts. Thanks again. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Cheers.